This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. So how does someone raise $350 million for different real estate and other sorts of alternative asset deals? Uh, Dave Zook is here with me today, and he's done just that. And he's got a lot of things to share, both uh, as someone who is raising money, if you're someone that's interested in doing that, or if you're someone who is an investor, just things you should look for, and maybe even different asset classes you should look at outside of real estate that potentially help you to make more money passively as well as reduce taxes. So Dave Zuck, welcome. How are you today? Hey, Bronson. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it's really great to see you. I, I think we're sharing before the show. It was just so great. I was able to come back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania and see you and see your family and you know, just just a beautiful you know family business that you have and all the things that you've done, just the way that you add value to, to people. So I wanted you to have you on just to really Kind of have people get to know you, and a lot of people know who you are. But uh, can you just share a little bit of your background and kind of? I know you didn't plan to be a guy who raised millions and millions of dollars, but can you talk about you know your background and how you got started doing this? Yeah, so I was uh, I had grown up. I had intentionally made up my mind that I was never going to be a real estate investor, and the reason for that is I watched my dad invest in real estate, and he. Uh, self-manage some single family homes. And I just decided early on in my life, I was never going to be a part of what I was doing. And so I intentionally shied away from real estate and, and you know, got more into uh, business and uh, started, founded a couple of businesses, partnered with some guys who, um, you know, we, we went off and did business together. And, and it really got to the point where you know, uh, 10, 12 years ago, I got myself in a position where some of these businesses were doing really well. And I ended up with a half a million dollar tax bill. Um, and wow. so I just, you know, at the time I was having so much fun, it didn't even feel like work. I was putting a lot of time in, you know, I was working, you know, before daylight and after dark, but it didn't feel like work. It was so much fun. But when I had to hand in half of my, or almost half of my earnings or profits back to the government, I just, uh, you know, it, it just all of a sudden, it was just wasn't so much fun anymore. So I went down this path and, and through a lot of education, getting around some of the same folks you get around, Robert Kiyosaki and, and some of those guys, I got to realizing that real estate can be much more than just a way to build additional streams of income and build an equity and that kind of stuff, but it can be a real um, kind of a tax protection vehicle. And that's the part I was really interested in. So I, when I figured out that I could use multifamily apartments and, and some of that kind of real estate to offset my tax liability, I got really interested. And all of a sudden I went from, you know, not wanting any real estate at all to want all of it. You know, it, it's amazing. Um, first of all, I love that you shared like, oh, I never wanted to do real estate because I saw my dad do it and just do it the way that I don't want to do it. And I think a lot of people see real estate or they've tried, you know, investing themselves and they just see how much work it is, particularly to be a landlord and try to manage properties. Even if you're not the property manager, it's a lot of work. And so, um, you know, a lot of business owners, I think, you know, are, are 
both excited about real estate and also kind of pushed away because of all the work that it takes. But you brought up basically the idea of reducing income through uh, you know depreciation, through real estate, through other sorts of investments. And there's a lot of people that are very interested in this and myself as well. And once I realized that as a real estate professional and through these passive losses, I could you know write off tens of thousands of dollars. And I was in the last couple of years while I was working my consulting job, I was able to save 90K in taxes that I would have paid. And so once that actually happens, the light goes on. You're like, oh my gosh, this is actually, there's actually a way out of regular income to reduce taxes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I know you did that in your business. You were able to save, I think I've seen a presentation of somewhere between half a million and a million dollars on taxes. How can someone who is a high earner, who has a business, use different, uh, you know, whether real estate or alternative assets to reduce their taxable income? So a high paid professional, um, you know, making, you know, two, three, four, six, eight hundred thousand, one point two million dollars, whatever. That's the hardest type of income to protect. And but it but it can be done. I've got, um, you know, I it makes it brings me great joy when I have a dentist or a surgeon. And this happens on fairly regular basis. You know, people that are willing to think outside the box and people that are willing to, you know, take a take another non-conventional approach. This is doable. Uh, you know, it brings me great joy when I when I have a, a high paid professional like that um, come to me and say, hey, you wouldn't believe it. So guess what my tax bill was last year? And it's always, you know, it's kind of the same. You know, you, you see it coming. It's kind of the same. They got this silly little grin on their face. And it just, you know, it's so much fun when they say, oh, yeah, my tax bill was zero. And, and uh, you know, so for me, what I, what I do, what I look for, even, you know, in my own um, you know, investment portfolio and my potential tax liabilities, I, I break it down into a couple different compartments. There's a, only a few different kinds of income. There's ordinary income, there's portfolio income, there's passive income. And of course, there's capital gains income and you, you know, can maybe name another one or two, but that, that's pretty much it. Uh, and so when you can break those down and compartmentalize them and then figure out, okay, what is an asset that I would have to invest in that would offset the tax liability on that specific income. And when you do that, you, you, you just you know, make it a lot easier and, and you've got to figure out, okay, I, I got to go find that asset class. And for a high paid professional, there's not a whole lot of options. You know, energy, um, you know, business equipment, um, you know, of course, if they're a high paid professional, a lot of those are working for somebody else. So, I mean, you, you know, there's only a, uh, you know, they don't really have a need for, for you know, business um, equipment. Um, but no, oftentimes it's energy related investments or conservation land easement. And so typically, if you're not well connected in that space, um, there's, you know, that, that's a shortcut to, uh, you know, disaster because there's a lot of, of um, you know, there's a lot of folks in that space and the oil and gas space and the energy space and you know that I wouldn't recommend doing business with you know it's kind of a higher risk type of investment but when you're connected in the space and you can you know find the right operator and you can go do business with them and invest in that asset class that will offset the tax liability that you have broken out and, and, and you're really just matching up the right kind of depreciation to your specific in, specific income and you can make 
you know, you can start making some huge dents in your tax liability and, and live tax efficiently or tax free. That's amazing. You have a quote. This is, uh, I think it's one of the only quotes I know of you, but it says you can be wealthy or conventional, pick one. And you've done that. You found yeah. a way to basically, how do you do things that are unconventional to be able to reduce your taxable income? And you talk to a lot of people about this. I've talked to a lot of people about it and they said, well, that's just what it is. You can't, there's nothing really else you can do. Or you talk to your tax person and they just have no idea. I'll put it in your 401k or, or, you know, just, there's, you know, do more write-offs or things like that. But to be, I, I really think the holy grail of all of this is for, like you said, W-2 or employee income finding a way for high earners to reduce, uh, you know, taxes. And I think the reason why the government does this is, and they allow this stuff is that they need to subsidize energy. They need to subsidize other projects and things that they are not directly themselves paying for. Um, can you talk a little bit without, obviously we're not pitching any specific investment. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I know you do some of the work in carbon capture or some of the other energy stuff. Can you talk typically about how it works? I know there's the money people make on the investment and then there's also uh, you know, the money that they get reduced on the actual other side, but basically from tax, they get reduced on their tax bill, but, or on their income. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, can you talk kind of how people, how these deals are structured and maybe how people can find them? You said it's difficult to find these unless you're well connected. I know you and I had a conversation about, I was like, how do I find these things? Or how do I direct investors to these? And you said, you know, Bronson, there's a lot of snakes out there. So how does someone actually avoid snakes and find, is it going to conferences or events or getting online? Like, what are the ways people find out about these types of deals? Oftentimes, for me, it's it starts with having a conversation with someone who's been very successful, who's very savvy, who's got relationships in that space. You know, let's say let's say I'm having a conversation with someone and he's investing with this operator. He's been investing with this operator for the last ten years and. You know they've they've done all kinds of cool stuff together and they've they've got this track record and that's and that's the thing you're looking for integrity you're looking for track record what have, what has that operator done for the last ten years um, are they fully audited uh, you know I'm not saying that I'll never do a deal with someone who's not fully audited I will and I have um, but you know that stuff helps. And so when you can when you can look at track record, you can you can look, you know, has this been verified? You know, you can look at their other investor base and have conversations with them. Are they, you know, are they, you know, sophisticated investors, maybe family office type who do, you know, some real deep, deep dive due diligence and then sort of just follow that path and and, you know, uncover those rare all-star operators, uh, you know, that's, that's what I love to do. And then, and then oftentimes what I'll do is I'll invest with them with my own cash for a number of years. I was an ATM investor for about four years until I finally ended up bringing ATMs to, to my investor base. Um, I was a natural gas investor for almost four years until I started introducing folks to this, uh, you know, to this operator. Um, you know, so it, I, oftentimes that's the path I'll go down. I'll locate these these people through my relationships in the space, and then I'll put my own money at risk and see how they work, see how they perform. And and look, it, it's not always you know it's not always how they perform either. If it's based on let's say a specific spot price, I mean, I started investing in natural gas 
when the natural gas was down in the dollar, dollar thirty, dollar fifty range, you know, and it, it, that's not real, you know, <laughs> unless you've got a really, really shrewd operator, you're not making money at dollar fifty gas. Right. And but I but I believed in the longer term natural gas story, and so I was watching this stuff unfold, and and now you got natural gas at five dollars, and mm. you know, so now we're making money, but. I was investing with this operator back when gas was in the dollar to dollar 30 range. And so being able to go through that and seeing how operators um, operate in good times and bad, you know, and, and you can kind of walk that journey with them and kind of prove, you know, for, for, oftentimes you, you get to know an operator better when things aren't going so well. Yeah. And and so, you know, that that builds trust when you can walk alongside that and see how they perform, even when things aren't going so well. So, Dave, I know we have some people on here as well, and I'm interested as well, but um, that have are raising money or have raised money for different deals and would love to, you know, either start raising money or to get you know somewhere close to where you're at, which you're you know at a whole different level. Um, what are some things that you've done? Obviously, you mentioned you've invested in an asset yourself. And then you've kind of seen how it's gone or invested with an operator yourself. And then you bring it to investors. What are some things that you feel have helped you to scale in your ability to raise money? So at first, when I went to market, I had, I had this deal that I needed to get funded and I needed the money because I had a deadline. (laughs) Um, You know, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of pressure on me and it was about me. You know, I had to, you know, I had to make all this stuff happen. And so when I'd go to market, I'd go to market like that. Um, but when I shifted my focus off of me and figured out how can I bring value to an investor? How can I bring value to an investor who sold his farm and he's sitting on a whole bunch of gains? He's going to get taxed, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. How can I bring in, you know, value to that investor, help protect that investor? How can I bring value to that high paid professional? It's going to end up with a six figure tax bill. You know, when I took the focus off of me and started figuring out, okay, how can I add value to people and help them solve their problems? That's when I got momentum. Yeah, that's, that really is amazing. Cause I, I realize for myself and I have a, a sales background, I did medical sales for like 10 years, but nobody wants to be sold, right? Nobody wants to be, they don't really care how much you need the money for a deal or how, whatever's going. I mean, it's like when you go to a car lot and it's fast, Eddie wants to, he says you look great in 1972 Buick or what, you know, you're going to run away, right? Nobody wants to be sold, but people want to have problems solved. And so one of the highest trust things you can do is sometimes even just, just helping someone, even if it doesn't directly relate to your business, just trying to find a way to help them. And um, it's, it's amazing what happens if you're just somebody who doesn't, I think it's like a, it's like a vibe, right? We put out this vibe if we're just really, it's more about us than it is about other people. But that's very clear in what you do that you're really there to help folks. Um, what's one thing you wish you had known? I mean, besides that great tip, what's, what's one of the thing maybe you wish you'd known uh, when you started raising money that, uh, you know, maybe, or, or maybe just a tip that you'd have for somebody who's raised some money, but that, you know, uh, would like to, to scale up even more? So that one that I just shared is probably the most important, but I'll go with another one. Uh, do business with great people. I mean, you know, I would, I would take a deal that looks not as lucrative on paper 
and do that deal with a with an operator who's got a strong track record, who's trustworthy, who's got an integrity, who's got, you know, he's, he's been in the game for a while, and, you know, for a decade or more. I would take that deal over one that looks, you know, better on paper, the IRA, IR, IRRs or, or the cash flow is better. I, I, I'd, I'd go with that experienced operator that has a good, strong track record of success. Find a great operator and do a lot of business with them. Yeah, that's great. No, I think that's I think that's so true. It's it's and I found too you don't really know a partner or an operator until you do a deal with them. So doing a deal, whether it's a passive or actively, you really get to know people really well. And you know, but like you said, when you find a good one, it's like, man, this just feels awesome when you have good partners that you can work with. You know, you feel like you know them, they know you, and there's character there, and it's just it's awesome, which is great. And that's why I've enjoyed working with you as well. So I mean, we're doing the ATM thing coming up here, which is exciting. Um, well, so, and, and, and I like, yeah. you know, I, I do what you did, you know, you invested in ATM yourself personally and you tried it out and you, and you figured out that, that you, you know, obviously you figured out that you like it or you wouldn't be doing this deal with your investors. You figured out you like working with us. It's exactly what I do. I'll go out, I'll test the market. I'll test the operator. I'll test the asset class. I'll make sure that I like working with the operator. And I'll do that sometimes for a number of years, sometimes for, you know, I gave you a couple of exa examples of where I did it for, you know, say almost four years until I took it to, to my investor base. But, you know, find it, make sure you like it, put your own money at risk, you know, try it out before you take it out to, to your investor base. And, and you know, you're, you, all you're really doing is you're reducing a lot of risk for your investors. Yeah. Well, I think you're you're so right, and I think that that type of attitude you have, though, is why you've been doing this for a while, and people are coming back to you, and they're investing more money, and they're referring friends and family because it's clear that you know you you've been diligent, like you said, four years you invested in a, in a deal or an operator before you brought it to your investors, and I think uh, really good. I think there's a lot of emphasis these days, and a lot of new people are just like, hey, I just want to raise a bunch of money. I just want to get in. And again, really that comes back to it's about me, right? It's about my deal, what I want to do more than it's about actually helping people. And if we really want to help people, we've got to do that diligence. We've got to make sure we have good partners. We've got to make sure we have good operators. So I think that's great. Um, Dave, I know you're, it amazes me the amount of interest that you have on all different things when it comes to investing, uh, even things that are not investing, such as chicken coops. I know you wrote a book about chicken coops. I actually got to tour your chicken coop, which was amazing. Uh, family business, you have manufactured homes. What are some new areas of interest for you? Uh, I know billionaires.com, you were, you were mentioning that to me. Can you maybe talk about some of the other things maybe outside of the kind of the known stuff that you're working on or anything you can share? So a couple of things. Yeah, you mentioned billionaires.com. You know, I, I didn't wake up one morning thinking, oh man, what what domain name can I buy? And let's go with that one. You know, it was more that was a relationship play. Um, a good friend of mine brought that to me, and he said, here, you know, take a look at what we're doing. Take a look at what we did in the last, you know, couple of domain names that we bought. Again, he had a track record of success in that space. Um, you know, here's what we're going to do with it. Here's here's what you'll get from it. Whatever. Um, you know, and here's what we expect it to look like in, you know, two to five to eight years. And so I did it because of a relationship, um, you know, and I think it's going to be fun. I mean, it has been fun working with them and you know, we'll do more fun stuff together. Um, but no, other, other areas of interest. I mean, one, you know, you toured our manufacturing facility here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and 
And, um, you know, as you can tell, we, we, you know, we, we go through, we use a ton of, you know, wood products, timber, two by fours, like roof sheeting, siding, wood, you know. And so when, you know, OSB roof sheeting went from $6 a sheet to $52 a sheet, um, that can affect the price of your, of your building uh, rather quickly. And so, you know, I'm looking at that saying, well, okay, where's the opportunity? And so we got to, you know, we got to purchase a 7,500 acre um, piece of property, had some hardwoods on it, had, had a lot of timber on it. Um, ended up, you know, a few months ago, four, four or five months ago, we, we bought another 11,000 acre piece of property that's got a lot of hardwoods on it. And, you know, from the time we put it under contract last March until, you know, we're, we're getting timber off these properties now and, and the timber checks are rolling in. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's done nothing but go, you know, almost straight up, you know, hard, hardwoods has. And, and so we're getting, you know, a lot more for our timber than we had, you know, projected our, at our going in cost. And so just seeing a, you know, problem, you know, a lot of people when they have their their uh, finished product already priced and their commodity co you know cost of commodity goes up on them you know eight or nine x that's a problem. Well, you know to be able to see a problem and 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 then turn around and see an opportunity in there and then turn around and monetize it, uh, it's just been a lot of fun. So I mean I, I'm looking for opportunities like that. I'm looking for you know let's say there's a um, uh, disruption. Um, I'm looking for the opportunity in that disruption and seeing, okay, how can we go in here and take advantage of, of this gift that was given us and, uh, you know, monetize it. You know, one thing I admire about you, Dave, is you mentioned the, the raw land that you had, you were saying, we have at least five ways we're going to monetize this property. We're going to rent it out as far as events and have a place where events can be done. We can, I can't remember was one was hunting and one was, you know, NFTs around creating NFTs around trees, but I don't know fully what that means, except maybe it's, and that, you know, then there was some sort of preservation or carbon credits. And I just love how creative you are to be able to try to find new ways to create revenue or new ways to monetize, which is really inspiring. Uh, and you mentioned this too, about disruption. Um, everybody's wondering, and I'm wondering, and I always like to ask this question, but what do you think is next as far as in the next couple of years with massive money printing, uh, inflation, uh, a lot of you know supply issues and things going on. What, what do you think kind of is coming in the future and what can people do to prepare themselves? Well, I believe that in the last decade was the, although all you know, it was good for real asset investors as well, but it was good for people who invested in Wall Street, who invested in Wall Street products, um, invested in a stock market, it was, you know, it was good, but I, I believe that the next decade is going to belong to the real asset investors, people who invest in real things, who deliver real um, services or value to people. Uh, I just believe this next decade is our time, our time to, to own real assets and invest in real assets. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. I think with inflation and anything real is going to continue to, to uh, be, you know, increase in value, at least in monetary value because of all the, all the printing. Um, 
Well, Dave, I just really want to uh, just appreciate you for coming on and, and just honor you. Obviously, you've done amazing things. It, it really comes from an attitude of service, of wanting to help people, particularly with you know reducing taxes and getting better uh, use with their money, which I really admire that. I admire you. So uh, I just want to say thank you for for sharing and just all the all the value that you add to kind of our you know groups as well as just to people that are investing with you. But what's a good way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, so you can go to our website at therealassetinvestor.com or you can email me or my team at info at therealassetinvestor.com and, and someone will respond to you when you reach out to us. Awesome, Dave. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We'll have to have you come on again, really. Uh, we'll talk about some other great stuff, but I appreciate uh, the conversation today. It was fun. Thanks for having me, Bronson. So a lot of great things from this interview. Uh, Dave Zook is honestly one of my heroes. He's a great guy, but just really the way that he creates value for people. And I think whether you're an, an investor or you're somebody who's looking to raise money, um, just understanding that when value is created, that's typically how people uh, develop partnerships, they get paid well, they have long lasting relationships with people because they're creating value for them. You think about the people in your life, that you look to think, hey, what do I do in this situation? Or where do I go when I have a problem? Those are people of value to you. They might be family members, they might be friends, they might be people you've invested with or uh, coworkers or things like that. But becoming a person of value is one of the number one things you can do to really impact the world, to help people, as well as I think really raising money. So a lot of good things from this. Uh, one thing I really liked from what Dave said is just as an investor or even as somebody who operates deals, investing in different types of asset classes, just simply to learn the space and see how it is, looking for other uh, investors who has a good reputation as far as an operator, and then investing with those groups to develop relationships, learn the investment. And Dave mentioned this thing that I call the holy grail, right? Like it's investing outside of real estate in the energy space in particular. There are people that can reduce their income to zero. If you didn't catch that, that's absolutely amazing. So if you're a high earner, there are ways to do it. I'd love to connect with you. I know Dave would as well. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this video and this, uh, this podcast. Look forward to seeing everybody in the next one. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.